This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Now, Father's Day. <clears throat> Happy Father's Day, by the way. And I have really struggled with this one because I'm not a father. So I really had to dig in. I think, well, what's it all about, Alfie? I was going to do it on Joseph. I love Joseph, Jesus' father. And, and then I thought, hang on now. There's something about Joseph that none of the rest of us have got. Joseph had a perfect child. You know? I can't imagine Jesus being in the terrible twos. And I certainly can't imagine him being a stroppy teenager. Ooh, here she goes again. <laughs> so I thought, no. But Joseph's wonderful. He's only mentioned six times, and four of those times is about obedience. So he is amazing if you want to study Joseph, Jesus' father. So I thought I would do it on something else. I'm going to do it on fathers in the faith. Because some people haven't got very good fathers as a mentor. Some people don't know their fathers. But in church, you should have fathers in the faith. You should have people that you can look to. And this is for girls as well, so I'm not leaving you out, ladies. Although I do champion men, I have to say. I champion men. I champion ladies too, and I'd stick up for a dog that was being mistreated. But I do champion the men. You know, women will say we can do without men because we carry the babies. Well, listen, girls, you only have girl babies because you need the man to give you the boy. So if women were left on their own, we'd be populated with only women. So we need each other. So it's not, I hate this fighting between male and female. We need each other. So in any case, fathers in the faith. I think, I'm going to read from Titus, and that's the only um, scripture I'm going to put up, because the rest of the scriptures will be too long to read. So it's not just about a father. It's about mentoring, it's, and it's about showing it's about modeling. And it's for every age group. It's for every age group. Because the little ones are not going to look to me as a model. Got me? Those tiny ones are going to look to people like Abby. Abby is going to look to people like you. You know, um, one um, is going to look at people like you. You know? And so it goes on. The teenagers will probably look at Dan. Dan, then he said, well, they, they're not certain about that. Oh, well, there we go then. So, but can you see what I'm saying? So it's not the generation, it's the age groups in the church should be teaching and modeling to the next age group in the church. And so this is what Titus says. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, gossips, or addicted to much wine, drunkards. It says something here. The, 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 the addicted to wine is mentioned to women, not men. What does that say? but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, 
to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home. Girls are not going to like this, are you? To be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. It is Father's Day. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. That's you lot there. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So that's what Titus says. And there's a whole lot in there, isn't there? That's what church should look like. But I'm not going to be speaking out of Titus. I just wanted to say that as a sort of realisation that is about everybody in church. But I'm going to speak about two people. I'm going to speak about Moses and Joshua. I love Joshua. He's my favourite Old Testament character. I love Joshua. And he had this wonderful relationship with Moses, where Moses was his um, leader, but he was his mentor, he was his trainer, and he was his role model. So he modelled, he mentored, and he trained Joshua. And that's what the church will be looking at. And I've got six qualities of Moses that Joshua looked at and observed while he was in training. This is what Peter Drucker says. He's a psychologist. He says this. Great leaders possess dazzling social intelligence, a zest for change, and above all, a vision that allows them to set their sights on the things that truly merit attention. Isn't that fantastic? So that's what a leader does. So we're going to look at these two men and what... He taught Joshua, and Joshua learned to observe Moses in good times and in bad times, when he got it right and when he got it wrong, and he learned from both. No leader's perfect. If you're looking for perfection, you ain't going to find it. You're going to be upset with him. But Joshua learned from both those areas in Moses' life. So the first one is, these are the specific occasions I want to talk about. One is when it's, and I'm not going to read these out because they're far too long, but you can go and look them up when you go home if you want to. One is Exodus 17, 9 to 16, and this is when Joshua was called on to fight the Amalekites. And Dan spoke in it. Joshua's the warrior. He's down on the battleground. He's doing the fighting. Up on the mountain is Moses praying getting so tired when he prayed that he had to have two helpers come to him, put a stone underneath him for him to sit on, and they had to hold his arms up. That's intercession, isn't it? Where you are so weary through interceding that people have to help you because you're worn out with it. And that's what Joshua observes, is what I'm saying. You can be on the ground doing what you do, right? And fighting a battle. But never think that because you fight the battle, it's all you doing it. That makes sense? Actually, Moses is praying. Somebody's got to be praying for you. If you want to succeed, you have to have people in this church praying for you. When Pastor Phil got up last week and said, I have prayed 
that nobody in this church would lose their jobs. I went, wow, because I haven't prayed that. I haven't prayed that for any of you. Have you? Anybody else prayed that? That's the heart of intercession for people. And that's what he sees. So he knows that his battle can't be won by him alone. He's totally reliant on Moses praying. But both of them realize that ultimately it's God who gives the victory. And you know what? We can, we can be in all sorts of dilemma in the church with the doers and the prayers. And uh, um, Do you see what I mean? There comes a tension in it. We get tension in it. But understand, we need everybody. We need you young bucks on the ground doing what you've got to do. Yeah. We need you, desperately need you, because without you, the church is going to stop, yeah. right? But you also need the next generation, the other generation, who maybe now is only praying. Pam can't go out and fight a battle. I'm sorry, Pam. You can't, or can you? You can't be on the battlefield in the same way. But I bet you're praying. Yeah. Can you see? We need both. That's the family of church. And that's what Joshua learned. The first thing he saw was somebody who was prepared to pray and pray and pray for his success. But ultimately... God gets the victory, yeah. gives the victory, and gets the glory. That's intercession. So that's prayer. So the first thing you look for in a leader is, is he a man of prayer? Does he teach you how to pray? Does he teach you how to stay in prayer? Does he teach you how to organize in prayer? Does he teach you, does he model this for you? And that's what Moses modeled for Joshua. When I came to this church three and a half years ago, I said, I want to see, I told God, I want to see it modelled. I don't just hear it taught, I want to see it modelled. When I came in, the first day, it was Pastor Phil in the kitchen making the bacon sandwiches. And every leader in the church was in the, in the kitchen making bacon sandwiches. And I thought, right, oh, it's modelled as well as taught. It's not, that's a lesser thing. That, you know, you can't do anything else. So you can go in the kitchen and do the kitchen. Do you got me? Yeah. Model it. And when you see it modeled, you think, right, oh, now I can start to listen. Now they can teach me, because I've seen something modeled. The next thing Moses modeled was what is called communion. And this is when they went up the mountain. They'd, um, God had called them up the mountain. They'd already... Um, had the um, golden calf and he went up there but a team went up with them and Joshua was there and what he saw on this mountain because they ate do you know when you think I must have read it hundreds of times but it hasn't sunk in they actually laid a table and ate food up the mountain in the presence of God isn't that amazing you know gosh that's what Joshua now observed. And I love a word that's come out during the last sort of election time, collegiate. Isn't that a great word? You know, that, um, uh, what's his name? Jeremy. He, um, Corbyn, him. He was collegiate, and Theresa May was not in that. He had a team around him that he discussed things with, whereas Theresa May didn't. Right? So the next thing you observed is teamwork. Teamwork. So beware of a leader 
who takes all the onus on himself, we got me to do whatever he wants to do yeah. without consulting anybody else. So we have to have teamwork. So if you've got a leader who's just the boss, just be careful. He's not really leading you in the correct way. So it's this, this ability to take other people's um, opinions in, to be calm in it all, to have a meal with them, to be friends with them. That's the next thing you observed. And so, you know, look for that, all of you. Look for that in your leader. Oh, sorry, Phil. Should I be saying this? They'll be saying it's Phil like this. I'm going to look at Phil after this now and say. <laughs> so this teamwork involved. So first of all, he's got to be a man of prayer. He's got to be a man who's got a team around him, right? So that he can take, you know, he stands accountable. He can take advice when he's going wrong. Yeah. You know? He ultimately takes maybe the decision. But is there a team around him? You know, some people are just one-man bands. You wouldn't believe. One-man bands. You know, my way or the highway, that is it. You know, you have no say in this. So is it a team? So that's communion. And the next thing is insight. And this is another thing. They came down from the mountain and they built the golden calf. <coughs> and Joshua says, ooh, now Joshua's a warrior. Oh, they're being attacked. They're being attacked. That's what he says. Moses says, no, it's not. No, it's not. That's the sound of people having a party. So you have to have an insight into people. You have to have an insight into the hearts of people. And Joshua got it wrong then because as, as a warrior... His first um, thought was, there's got to be a fight going on, right? And you, if you don't think any deeper than what you know, does this make sense to you? Now, sometimes we can know things and we don't want to know anything else. With me? You're very quiet and I quite like interaction. <laughs> but Joshua was, in this case, wrong. He hadn't yet develop the hearing year to listen to what people are really saying. They can say an awful lot of things. It can sound like a lot of things. But can you really discern? What do they really mean by that? What are they really thinking by that? How are they really feeling? You know? What do I really have to deal with when I'm listening to them? So my reaction is determined really by what I'm hearing. Right? If Joshua had gone down all guns blazing, he'd have killed all the Israelites. Because there was no other enemies there, only them carousing around the golden calf. Right? But Moses had the ear. And he said, no, no, that is not the sound of enemies. So sometimes, it can sound like an enemy sound in our own church, can't it? And it's not the enemy. So the next thing is, you have to have insight. And if you want that, I'm sorry, it's Exodus um, 33. So, one, he's got to be a man of prayer. Two, it's, and this is if you want a real mentor. He's got to be a man who will have a team around him. Three, he's got a man who sees deeper than surface layers in people. He has to see a little deeper, has to look a little deeper, has to know a little deeper so that he can tell you, hang on, you're making the wrong decision here. Number four, 
This is wonderful. Is he thirsty for God? I think this is my favorite one. And this is about Moses going into the, temple meet, um, the tent of meeting and meeting with God until God actually comes to him. You know, when he says he comes out, his face was glowing, isn't it, when he comes out to the tent of meeting because he's met with God face to face. And Joshua is observing this. Worship isn't just singing. Worship isn't just singing. It's not even worth doing. Worship is a desire for me to be in the presence of God. That's what worship is. When you're worshiping, are you desiring God's presence? That, and you can't explain it, can you, when you're in the presence of God? It's inexplicable because that is the place where you get to know God, you get to know yourself, and you get changed. Otherwise, when we do it through the will, you will have behavior modification, is called. You may change your behavior, but when you do it through worship, it happens through the inside out. You change what's inside. Love of God takes over. And when love of God takes over, you'll change your life because it pleases him. That really is worship, I think. When I'm prepared to say, none of it matters, only you. Only you matter. I've met you, I've seen you, I know you. Therefore, whatever it takes, you have it. We sing it every week, but you'll only be able to do it if you get into that place where God meets you, where you're in his presence. And it can take practice, I think, to stay in that place until you meet him. And it can be through prayer. It can be through reading the word. But I think the main thing is worship, where you just want Jesus. And he comes, because when you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. And he comes to you. And that's what Joshua observed. He, he observed this worshipping man who was in the tent of meeting until the presence came. And he came out looking different and sounding different because he'd been in the presence of God. So yes, you can battle for people in prayer. You can communion with people as a team. You can have wonderful insight. And that's external. But what's happening inside of you? Because that's what changes you. That's what makes you great in God's eyes. That's where you get humility from because you've seen yourself in the eyes of God. And that, for me, is the heart of a leader, is worship. Do you worship God till you are in his presence? And believe me, if you've been in the presence of God, you know you've been in the presence of God. So many people come out of a worship and think, oh, that was wonderful. And then they'll start to say something, and you think... You've not been in his presence, because if you had, you could never speak like that after. Because something happens in his presence that changes you. So a prayerful team worker with insight and a worshipper. And the next thing is humility. Numbers 11. Again, Joshua's with Moses. 
And this is the time when the Spirit, read it, because it's far too long. It's a whole chapter. I don't think you want me reading five chapters of scripture up to you at the moment. So there's a whole chapter in this, and it's when the, the, Moses is finding it difficult to lead all the Israelites on his own. So God says that he will give his spirit to 70 others. And so the, some have had it, the 70, and then they go into the camp, and two men are there, Midal and somebody, and they are, they're prophesying. Oh, and Joshua has a bit of a blip at this. You know, who are these to, to prophesy? Stop them prophesying. They shouldn't be prophesying. And Moses says, no, I would that all of God's people were prophets. So when there's the need for recognition, no need for recognition in a great leader. He recognizes that we are all the body of Christ, that everybody has a part to play, that there's not one big man running the show. And that's where Moses' humility came in. You know, he saw himself in the light of God and the light of his people. So he... So th there's this, you know, that, um, you know, that there's no anxiety or, or uh, to be seen. Yeah? Lots of people do in church, I'm afraid. They went up at the prominent, you know, but there's three people at the moment in the kitchen making food. Forgot, do you understand what I'm saying? This isn't important, really. It's what we're like to each other that's important. It's how we view each other. It's how we love each other. It's how we deal with each other. It's how we look at each other. You know, it's how we view each other in the hierarchy of the church. And that results sometimes in some being kept down, like Joshua wanted to do, or raised up, like Moses wanted to do. Yeah. And so, you know, there is, and it's, I suppose, a balancing act. But you have to have it. Because the last thing, you know, people are so terribly hurt by church sometimes who've ignored them, who just as discounted them, you know. So, like I said, neglect of others is a sign of pride, as I said last time, you know. You can't do anything for me, therefore, you know, we don't really need you, but you can attend. To the people of God, it's horrible. But every one of you is part of the church. Every one of you is part of the kingdom. Every one of you is part of God's plan. You have things to do for God. All right? And I don't care what it is. God has given you a thing, something to do. All right? And nobody should tell you you're not really equipped to do it. The whole thing about this is that you mentor and encourage and nurture what's in people. This is called discipleship, that you come alongside people. And that's the other thing. And I pray that when, do you know, I fought battles in my time and prayed, but my battle really was against traditionalism. I came out from a time where people were leaving the church in droves. They didn't want anything to do with it. And I think you've come out from the apostolic church in the same way. It's this traditionalism that held us in a grip you couldn't change anything. You weren't allowed to change anything. You weren't allowed to change the running of the service. You weren't allowed to change the language, even though half the people go and they couldn't understand Welsh, but it had to stay Welsh because it doesn't matter. You know, that was it. You couldn't change a thing. So we have fought the battle for traditionalism. And on new churches you see now around who are all pretty charismatic, you know, 
the, the gifts of the spirit in them, uh, pardon the evangelical, but as a rule, I think, most of the new churches that have come out from that all believe in the gifts of the spirit. But, um, oh gosh, sorry, lost my train, give me two minutes to get it back. That whole thing of, you know, is not the battle of today. Your battles are going to be very different. Very different from the battles I fought. The news is enough to tell you that the battles of today are hugely different. You know, when the Lib Dem leader has left, left his post because he says he is now subjected to such um, scrutiny as a Christian that people view him with suspicion because he's a Christian. These are the battles we face now. Much different to the battles, you know? So you need mentoring in a way that maybe I was never mentored in. But you have to have, because the battles of the next generation, I think, are massive. And what I've always said is the battles of the promised land are different to the battles of the wilderness. You know, your, your battles are very different. So you need this mentoring, training. You need to be looking at people, observing people. And people in church who are more mature should be doing exactly what Titus says because this is a desperate time for the church. I'm sorry. I didn't mean this to be heavy. I thought this was going to be light and I could make you laugh. And here I am. I'm so sorry. I thought it was going to be an easy little thing to preach, but it's not because I feel desperate about it. That this is a desperate time for the church. Desperate time for the church. When people are suspicious of Christians. You know? Because we hold a different point of view. So now you have to ask, what do I do? Do I compromise? That's going to be our battle. To compromise with the world? Or to stand up for your Christian faith? It's massive. I don't think it'll be... Well, it may be my battle, but I'll be too old. I'll be too old. Yes, I'll be too old. I'm hoping I'll be too old because it's a tough battle. <laughs> but can you see? It's so different now. That's why you need to really take on board this, this obs observing people and mentoring. And look at what people, don't listen to everything people say. I'm talking to the boys here yeah, because it's Father's Day. Sorry, I should be talking to fathers, but uh, the boys have got me from here. You know, start looking, looking at what people really are like. Start to develop that insight. Start to develop prayer for people. Start to develop worship. Do it, because that's what the next generation's gonna need, because it's gonna be tough for you. It's gonna be tough. Enough of that, sorry. But it's humility. That humility that says, what does Joe Cox say? We have more in common than that which divides us. Yeah. And that's true here. Yeah. You know, what did, what does, what did um, Charlotte Campbell say? We are... Very well. Right. This is learning to see with the eyes of faith. Do you know when you look, and I've just said some terrible things about what this world is like at the moment, but for us, that song, you know, you, you're king over the flood, isn't he? You know, when everything rages in, can we see with the eyes of faith? That's the other thing you have to, we have to pass on to you. That, do you know what? Christian faith says it's always better ahead. The church, no matter how much they sus they're suspicious of us, will survive. Because Jesus says it will survive. 
says at the end of the day, we will be the overcomers. Amen. Everything will work out in God's plan. So for, don't forget what I've said in the previous one, because it's important. You're going to have to fight the battle, but you can't fight, fight it thinking this is a hopeless battle for me to fight. It's not a hopeless battle, because Joshua was told when he came into leadership, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now be strong and be very courageous and go in and inherit the land. And that's the word, isn't it? Yes, it's tough, but we are on the winning side. Amen. So can we see with the eyes of faith that although this world looks utterly bleak at the moment, and I've never known such a month really, in all of my 70 years, I've never known a month like we've had now, with terrorist attacks and fire towers going up like paper, right? But we look with the eyes of faith and say, all right, that's happening, but my God is still in control, and I'm going to fight on the Lord's side so that I can do and bring about his plans for this world. That's all we're asked to do. We're not asked to sort out every problem there is, but we are asked to do what we are meant to do here. Right? And maybe people in the world, who knows what? This Joe Cox um, dinner in the park will bring on lunch. Dinner's very... Uh, course, isn't it, Lynch? But, you know, who knows who we'll speak to? Who knows? You know? But there's hope. We don't live in a hopeless situation. We have to see with the eyes of faith. So don't look at this world. I think I've given up. Despairing. But actually, no. We're always on the winning side. God has got it covered and he has a plan to come out the other side. All right? And he will win. That's wonderful. Amen. Isn't that fantastic? It's really all I want to say. So you have to be, you need prayer. You need teamwork. You need insight, worship, humility, and faith. That's what you need to be taught. The next generation, we pass that on to the next generation. Those, and we get those six things then the promised land can be taken, can't it? Light's gone off, never mind. So. So I don't know if the team would come up. We'll, um, do you know what? Jesus covered all of those points in the way he dealt with his disciples. He prayed for them. He had a team around him. He knew exactly where they were coming from. He corrected them when they got it wrong. He worshipped and he constantly told them about the Father's future. So Jesus is a great mentor. He did it exactly like that. It's wonderful. But the greatest father you know is God. He's the greatest father. He gives us what every father should give us and that's unconditional love. He's for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He'll never leave you. Right? He'll fight for you. He's on your side. He gives you a hope and a future. Nothing is hopeless with him. He comes alongside you to comfort you, to encourage you, to lead you on, to knock you back sometimes when you need it, as a good father does. But he is everything that we need. He is totally wonderful. 
Jesus is my best friend. I don't know about you, but what would you do without Jesus? Who would you talk to if you didn't have Jesus? You know, he's, well, I don't know. I can't describe him enough. I've got to cry if I try to describe who Jesus is, right? But he only did what he saw his father do. He came down to model God for us, and his modeling was perfect. No earthly father will be perfect. No earthly leader will be perfect. But thank God for Jesus who was. All right, and he, he alone is the one we worship, the one we obey, and the one we live for. And you know, we can take this land. I believe that the church will go on. We've tried to get rid of it for 2,000 years and haven't succeeded. We'll continue to the end. We'll continue to the end. And thank God. Thank God for fathers. I had a wonderful father. I adored my father. My mother used to say, if it was raining and we were both outside, she'd call her father in and shut the door on me. Not really true, but I adored my father. He was a quiet man. Quiet man. I've got a husband who's a wonderful father, but he's not a quiet man. My father was a man of few words. My husband is a man of many words. Right? But there's no like two totally different men, but two very good fathers. Why? Because they loved. They just loved, you know. My father was quiet about it. My husband is quite anxious about it. But nevertheless, it's love. And that's what every kid needs. And if you have another father that loves you, you do. Because God loves you. God's a good, good father. I heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I heard tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell.
This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.